Our scripture, or I should say our first scripture this morning, uh, is from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Our second scripture this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Thank you, God, for the reading of this word. Well, Miss Leah reminded us that uh, every new year we start out with those new resolves, don't we? So everybody get their praise jar from last year. How many have their praise jar from last year? Aha, that's what I thought. <laughs> but we can get one for this year, right? Great idea. Well, I hope everybody had a great Christmas. Did everybody have a great Christmas? I hope you did online. Our family had a wonderful Christmas time together, except for the football season. Now, if you're a football fan and you're a Michigan fan, our hearts are broken today, right? But other than that, it's a, it's a wonderful time of year. It, we have all of these beautiful decorations in the church. And, and by the way, if you ordered a poinsettia and intended to pick it up today, let me invite you to leave it at least one more day. We have a service here tomorrow, and we want to keep the sanctuary decorated for that, that service. So if you can just wait one more day, we would appreciate that. But these beautiful things, and, and you drive around the streets, and you see all the houses lit up. The streets are bright with lights during Christmas. And in our houses, we, the trees are all lit up, and the uh, decorations are all there. It's, it's wonderful, but now New Year's has come, and we start packing all that stuff away, right? Judy and I went out for a ride uh, last Sunday uh, after church, and there was a guy out in the yard already taking his Christmas lights down. The streets start to get dark again. We, we rush to take all the decorations in the house, and the houses start to get dark again. And then there's, the, of course, that annual rush to take back the Christmas gifts, right? We, we have the, the Christmas gifts that don't fit, and uh, we have the gifts we don't want, and then there's always that gift that Aunt Judy and Uncle Alan gave you. What the heck were they thinking? But Christmas is about a gift, the gift of God's Son who came to earth, Emmanuel, God with us, Savior of the world. Pastor Steve reminded us uh, throughout the Advent season of this light that has dawned, the, the ancient promise, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a, a son is given, and helped us understand what some of the implications of that were. Brian read for us from the prologue of, 
of the Gospel of John, 18 verses that kind of tell in a powerful sort of way the meaning of this uh, season. He tells us that the very Word of God, the force that created the universe, has become flesh and dwells among us. In Him, in this babe of the manger, is life and light for all mankind, for all human beings. And the light shines in the darkness, John tells us. And the darkness tries, but isn't able to overcome it. Or as I like in the New International Version, it says, the darkness does not understand it, does not understand the light. What a tremendous testimony for all time, but certainly in our time. We don't want to pack this away too soon. When John talks about this light that shines in the darkness, he's not talking about some little candlelight that we put on the table or put in the window. He's not talking about the lights that we turn on when we flick the switch or even the sun that comes to break in at dawn and chase away the night. He's talking about something much greater than that. If we turned in Genesis to uh, chapter 1, we read first that the earth is, the world is dark and void. And God says, let there be light. And there was the first day. It's not until verse 16 uh, on the fourth day that God bothers to create the, the sun and the heavenly body. So, so this light that breaks in on the darkness is God's will, God's essence, God's nature, God's truth that is about creating. It's the same light that the author of Revelation has in mind in uh, chapter 21 when he talks about the city of God. The city that has no need of the sun or the moon for the very glory of God will be their light. The light that has come to dwell in our midst is the essence of God. Something we don't want to put away too soon. This theme of light will weave its way through John's gospel. And in the 8th chapter, the 12th verse, Jesus has heard to say, I and the light of the world. And those who follow me will never walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. Let's not put this light that comes at Christmas away too soon. Throughout the Old Testament, light is a, 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 has a way of being a, a saving grace for God's people. You remember Moses wandering around in the wilderness, uh, doing his work uh, as a, a shepherd, uh, says, what is this light that's shining on the mountain? Let us turn aside and go and see what this is. And what does he find? He finds a burning bush. God's light there telling him, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go free, to set the prisoner free. And then the people get out in the wilderness. They're wandering around. They're confused and they're frightened. And God sends a pillar of light by night to protect them and to guide them on their way. The psalmist, in Psalm 119, uh, verse 105, rejoices at his deliverance. And he says, 
I rejoice because your word is a light unto my feet, a lamp unto my path. And that, I want to remind you of the, the invitation that Russ gave us earlier to be here in January as uh, Pastor Steve brings us his new series, Walking in God's Wisdom. We hope those online will, will tune in as we learn how to let God's word be a light onto our path. This is no small thing that, that has come to us. Jesus came to reveal God, to show us something about the nature of God, the desire of God, to show us that there's a, a new way to live in this world and to help us discover something about ourselves, to help us discover that we are loved, that we are lovable, that we are called to be loving and capable of being loving in return. That there's a different kind of life that we can live in this dark world. Jesus came to bring light that shines in the darkness, not just for some people, but for all people. Let's not pack this light away too soon. John also reminds us that, that something happens when that light shines on us, when we let it be a light to our path, something begins to transform in us. That light that once shined upon us begins to reside in us. And we begin to see the world through a different set of eyes. We begin to understand things with a, the mind of Christ, a, a new mind. We begin to respond out of a new sense of values and motivation. And we desire to serve in this world with a new set of hands. This light changes us. You recall uh, Jesus first said, I am the light of the world. But in Matthew chapter 5, on the Sermon on the Mount, what did he say to his followers? You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This light that once shined upon us now resides in us and shines through us. That's why we try here to, to walk daily with Jesus, to go deep into his word so that we might be those daring disciples, that that transformation might happen through us. Let's not pack the light of this holy season away too soon. But there's another part of that story. Brian read it for us from the Gospel of Matthew. It gets very little attention during the season. Three little verses. Even the commentaries say very little about this passage. It's known as the, the slaughter of the innocents. It reminds us that while this gift of light came into the world, darkness tried to return the gift, tried to defeat the gift, push us push us towards hopelessness and cynicism and prejudice. There are people and forces that want us to believe and act and react more out of our baser and selfish instincts that want us to decide based on fear, want us to believe that things are bad and getting worse. There are forces that desire that Fear will be what motivates us in our decision-making, and it makes us think that violence is really the answer to security in the world. Even pestilence 
should uh, shape, or the fear of it should shape our, our politics and our social interactions. You know the story of Herod. Herod is visited by the Magi, and he's told about this babe who will be king of the Jews, and he uh, pretends to be uh, interested. Uh, go, go off, guys, and uh, you find him. And when you find him, come back and tell me so I can come and, and worship him too. But the Magi are warned, and they return by a different way. And Herod, motivated by fear, sends his army to kill all the male children to and under, in and around Bethlehem. The light has shined, but darkness tried to snuff it out. Scripture tells us that, John's Scripture tells us that the darkness uh, tries to, to defeat the light, but the light is not overcome. And I, I particularly like the way the New International Version uh, has it. The darkness did not understand the light. When I read Scripture, I, I see two ways that uh, darkness gets a hold in the world. One is it refuses to accept God, refuses to accept Jesus' way his truth and his life. They reject it and turn their back on it and, and try to go their own way. A second way that darkness gets a toehold is because we don't understand the light. And I think that's the danger for us as believers. We don't reject Jesus, but sometimes we don't understand God. We don't understand what God is doing in the world. We don't understand what Jesus wants us to do. Evil has a way of uh, being loud and noisy and blatant and self-assertive. It has a way of getting our attention and making us think that it's truth. A way of making us think that things really are bad and getting worse. And so we might turn away from the light. 1968, Martin Luther King, who I, I firmly believe was a a modern-day prophet in the biblical sense of the word, stood in the National Cathedral, and he was talking about justice, and he said, you know, the arc of history is long, but it has a way of bending towards justice. And I would say that the arc of history is long, and it has a way of bending towards the will of God, it has a way of bending towards the light. There is no doubt that the world is a messy place. There is no doubt that terrible things still happen, that darkness still is out there. But if we only look at the moment, if we only look at today, it'll be easy for us to lose sight of what God is accomplishing in the world, what God is doing and wants us to be a part of. Let me remind you that the march that God is on is the march of eternity. It's long Ranged. He's in this world for the long haul. God's redemptive work is the work of faithful people in every generation. And when we see something that isn't going right in the world, it's our job to be light, cast light upon it, and, and uh, work to bring about changes. But let me offer some examples of what I'm talking about so that we might see how the light is at work in the world and has been for some time. First, let's consider poverty. You know, uh, 
1950, only 71 years ago, not all that long ago, 75% of the world's population lived in extreme poverty. In those 71 short years, the world's population has grown by 174%. Wow, you would think logic would tell you that just that many more people have to be living in poverty. But the truth of the matter is, today, only 10% of the world's population lives in extreme poverty. That's still a lot of people. That's way too many people. We need to still address that. But you see, God's light is at work and has been at work, and things are changing for the better. Let's take literacy. In 1820, just 200 years ago, only 10% of the world's population was literate. By 1930, 90 years ago, that number had decreased to only uh, one-third of the population being, or had increased to one-third of the population being literate. Today, 85% of the world's population is literate. What does that mean? Well, that means that the tools that are needed for make use of science and technology and communication and the sharing of wider sense of ideas is there. The forces that are accessible to encourage people towards freedom are available to a wider population. Take health. In 1800s, 43% of newborns died by the age of five. 43% of the newborns died by the age of five. But rising uh, prosperity, improved diets, better housing and sanitation, improvements in agriculture have all increased longevity. We're taller, we're smarter. The development of germ theory, one of the great advancements is in medical science, has led to uh, the development of antibiotics so that we can uh, knock out diseases, vaccinations to fight diseases, public health policies and hygiene, so that today infant mortality is down to 4%. And this, is, this was humbling for me to realize. In 1947, the year I was born, life expectancy for a man was 32 years. If things had not improved, I'd be dead for 43 years by now. (laughs) Thank goodness things have improved that the, the life expectancy now is 72 years and nine months. You see, God's work is being done in the world. Things are better than they have been in the past. The light is shining in the darkness even when the darkness doesn't understand it. Freedom. Freedom, which is difficult to measure because there are a lot of different political systems in the world and uh, a lot of different customs by which people measure freedom. But uh, in the 1800s, one-third of the world's population lived under some colonial rule. Some foreign power ruled the people. Today, that number is very small. And... Four out of the five people who live under some autocracy live in one country in the world. Today, 50% of the world's population live under some form of democracy. 
You see, God is at work. The light is shining in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it, even when it doesn't understand it. Take education. More people are educated today than ever before. <laughs> I have a 10-year-old granddaughter, and on Tuesday I take her to, to uh, dance lessons, and uh, so we have a chance to talk. And uh, I forget what the topic was, but it had something to do with math. And she says, what? You don't know what that is, Papa? Whatever she was telling me, I didn't understand. Things that I didn't hear about until I was in high school, she's getting in the fourth and fifth grade. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? We're growing not incrementally anymore, but exponentially. Things are, are growing so much faster. The pressure on all of us to, to keep up. There are advances going on in all kinds of fields because people are more educated today than ever before. You see, God's light is shining in the world. God's work is being done, and it has been done for a long time. The arc of history is long, but it bends towards the light. It's important that we understand the light and what God is doing and has been doing in the world so that we don't lose perspective, so that we don't let ourselves be misled by the darkness that wants to confuse us. Jesus said what? I come to bring good news to the poor, the recovery of sight to the blind, release of the captives, and to set the prisoner free. That is the work that God is doing in the world. Darkness does not understand that. Surely this is the, that work isn't complete. There's much more to be done. And that's why he calls upon us. That's why he puts the light in us, that we might let our light shine before others, and they might see our good deeds and glorify their Father's heaven. He calls upon us to join him in that mission. This we know. We are agents of the light in the world, and it's important that we understand and acknowledge that. And so as we come to this new year, I want to issue you all an invitation. Take a moment to take stock of yourself. Ask yourself the question, where does the light shine in and through me? Where does darkness have a toll hold in me? And then ask God to help you fulfill your baptismal vow, the vow that you took when you uh, confessed your faith, when you joined the church, if you did, to resist evil and oppression and injustice in whatever forms that they present themselves. And may God bless you in your journey into this new year as you let him be a light to your feet and a lamp unto your path. Amen.